Well, welcome to Palm Vista Community Church. If you're a guest uh, with us this morning, we're going through a series in the, the Psalms, and the series is entitled Worship in Technicolor. Why do we say worship in Technicolor? Because we want to worship God in the broad spectrum of every emotion, of every situation in life, good, bad, happy, sad. So literally, worship in Technicolor, and the Psalms give us the language for that. And the title of this morning's message is trusting God, trusting God. And our text is Psalm 25. Our text is Psalm 25. So I invite you to turn there. If you have your digital Bibles, if you have your physical Bibles, and and if you don't have a Bible, I invite you to look on with someone else, or we have some here in the back. It's very important for you to be able to see these words, because God the Holy Spirit will be speaking to you through His Word, the Word that He gave us. So here's the question for us this morning. Who do you trust? Is it a roommate? Is it a friend? Is it a parent? Is it a child? Is it a boss? Is it a teacher? Is it a pastor, a community group leader, youth group leader? Who do you trust? You see, we all have to trust somebody because none of us can navigate through the waters of life on our own. We simply don't have the resources for it. We don't have the ability to do it. We all need to trust someone to get us through life. And that can be difficult when people have violated our trust. It can be very, very difficult. See, trusting is a necessity. We must trust. And the question that the text this morning answers is, will we trust God? See, this text in Psalm 25 is about trusting God. King David, the author of this psalm, in about 1000 BC, was facing some very difficult situations in life. And he was faced with that question, will I trust God? And if I trust God, will God deliver me? If we're honest, we'd have to say that most of the time we trust ourselves. But we all come to those places, those foxholes in life. You know a foxhole, what a soldier digs when he's in combat and he's being fired upon? They say that there are no atheists in foxholes. That's a metaphor. What what they mean by that is when life hits us right in the face, when we're confronted with that thing that challenges us, it may be a financial thing, it may be a betrayal of someone you loved, maybe an illness, a sickness, whatever it is, we're going to come face to face with something that is beyond us, something we cannot handle. And at that moment, we're going to cry out and trust someone or something. By definition, that's what it means to be human. And in that moment, the question is, will it be God? Will it be God? Because you see, God in his mercy orchestrates our lives so that we come face to face with him. As happened to David here. And when we come face to face with him, the question is, will we trust him? Will we trust him? And here's the great truth that God gives us in Psalm 25. Hear God speaking this morning. See God's hand here above my head, as it were, pointing right at you and saying these words to you. Those 
who trust in God will never be put to shame. That is the theme of this psalm. That is the word we need to hear. Those who trust in God will never be put to shame. We've all experienced shame in our lives at one time or another. What is shame? Basically, shame is when you realize you're not enough. You don't have enough. You're not good enough. You come up short. You have failed. And shame is always very public. Very public. It's that sense of being totally exposed as a fraud or a hypocrite. It's it's that shameful moment. We see it happen on TV all the time to leaders or politicians or whomever. They get caught with their hand in the cookie jar. They get caught doing something wrong. And they're shamed. Shame is always public. But so many of us feel that shame in our soul. We feel like we've come up short. We feel like somehow we've missed the mark. We're not good enough. You're not good enough. What do you do in that moment? And particularly in King David's situation, where your enemy is seeking to shame you publicly. I mean, that's the worst. That's the worst. What do you do in that moment? And for a Christian, oftentimes, shame will surface its head when you think about relating to God. Because you somehow know that you haven't measured up. You somehow know that you've fallen short. You know who you are. You know your thoughts. And when you think about God, shame just grips your soul like, I can't face him. I'm ashamed. I've missed the mark. What do we do in that moment? How do we overcome that? Because let me tell you something, church. Shame is a trust killer. Shame is a trust killer. Because when you live in shame because of the guilt of your sin, or because you think you don't measure up, then what it's going to lead you to is trusting in yourself to get enough merit to be able to earn God's you know, smile and put the shame away. And so it always leads to self-effort. It's a trust killer. It's always going to lead you to self-trust. And what God wants us to do is trust him. By definition, a Christian is one who throws himself or herself down before God and says, God, I have nothing else, no one else. I come to you. This is the cry of the Christian. It's the cry of repentance. It's the cry, have mercy on me, O God. That was the theme of our worship this morning. It's a theme here in this psalm. God will often bring you to that place where you're facing real shame, real difficulty, so that you might know what it is to have God deliver you from that shame. Because let me just say this right now. If you're not a Christian, if you're a guest this morning, first of all, thank you for coming. This is the whole idea of Christianity. This is why we say to you that Christianity can be encapsulated by one symbol and one symbol alone. And what is it? It's a cross. Do you know that Jesus hung there naked and ashamed? Do you know that it wasn't an honor to be crucified? You get that, right? The Lord of glory who created you and me chose to come and live a life where the, the, 
the pinnacle, as it were, of that life would be to die in a shameful posture, asphyxiated. That's how he died. Gasping for breath. Six hours. People mocking him. He took your shame, Christian. If you're honest, you live with it every day. You may call it different things, guilt, whatever you might call it. But he, we, we all know there's something wrong with us. And we put, up as, put on as much makeup as we can, metaphorically speaking, to make ourselves look better, to take the sagging skin from underneath our eyes and, and whatever we have, or to, to try to somehow dress in the way that makes us look the best way possible to God. Because we're ashamed. We're standing there like that child in, in, in school where they're just shamed and the teacher shaming them and the kids are shaming them. We've all been to middle school, right? Some of you just coming to this auditorium. Yeah, I heard that right there. Some of you just coming to this auditorium think, why are they meeting here? My worst moments were in middle school. When you drop the tray and all the food goes on the floor and everybody starts clapping in the cafeteria, right? And what do you feel? Shame. When you get your grades and maybe you just... You weren't a good student. Or maybe you had dyslexia and no one knew it. And you, just, you came up short. You were the worst. You were picked last on the, on the school field for the game. You were the one everybody laughed at. Forget about that. In your heart, on your own, you know, I'm really a loser. And then when you start thinking about God, you run for the hills. You put on as much makeup as you can. But see, God sees you without your makeup. Sorry, guys, just hang with me on that metaphor. I know you're not putting makeup on. At least I hope you're not. Um, But you know what I'm saying, right? You dress up as best you can, but eventually you got to take all that off. And God sees you for who you are. And that scares you. And so you run like that little hamster on that wheel to try to get as much merit as you can so that God will like you again. You keep feeding quarters into the machine. Maybe you're here for that reason. This psalm, God tells you, stop the running. Stop the shame game. For Jesus, dear non-Christian, died on the cross, which we will celebrate this Friday culturally, but which we celebrate every day as Christians, to take your shame You're not good enough, and you should be ashamed. But Jesus is good enough and took your shame. That's a great starting point. It's not the ending point. But what a starting point, church. That's why we say that at the cross, you see the glory of God manifested. The world says, you're crazy. The cross is weakness. The cross is foolishness. The cross is dishonor. The cross is shameful. But we say that's where the glory of God is manifested because God chose to take our shame and give us his glory. Go figure. That's why we go nuts every time we get together on Sunday mornings. That's why we jump around and sing. and, And that's why we sing as long as we do. I wish we could sing longer. That's why we have meals afterwards and we gather together and we meet in each other's homes because we love God because he first loved us and we love one another. See, see, shame 
is a trust killer. And, and so, I think God's word to us this morning in this text, the word shame is used quite a few times, is that he's taken our shame so that we might trust him. Now, the next question is, what does trust look like? What does trust look like? Well, point one, trust looks like resting in God's hands. Trust looks like resting in God's hands. Let's read verses 1 to 3 in Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. The first step of trusting God is that we rest in his hands. That's what it means in verse 1 when it says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. The Hebrew there is this idea of resting in God's hands. Kind of, you know, that trust fall where someone is behind you and you just kind of fall into their arms. Only this is a lifetime of trust. This is a king who has enemies that want to openly shame him and want to defeat his kingdom who can sleep at night. Because he's trusting God. He says, God, my life is in your hands. Whatever you will for me, I trust you. I trust you. Look at verse 3. It means waiting for God. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Who are you waiting for? Who, who's, your sa- who's your savior? Who's your, you know, super person that's going to come and deliver you from all your problems? Is it the promotion at work? Is it finally having your mother say, you were right, my daughter, my son? Is it finally being vindicated by those people that have spoken against you online? Is it healing in your body? Is it, is it having enough friends? Is it fill in the blank? Who are you waiting for? And David says, if you're waiting for anybody other than God, you will be put to shame. They will disappoint you. But God will not. God will not. What does it look like to trust God? It means to rest in his hands. Are you resting, church? Or are you frantic inside? Are you like that duck who on top of the, the water, the duck's like that, right? You know the picture. And underneath the water, the little legs. Man, rest in the Lord. He's got you. He has your back. Because his back was flayed open for your sin. What does it look like? To trust in God, point two, it looks like receiving God's pardon. If you see here what David is crying out for as he's trusting God, as he's resting his life on God, it's not fatalism, it's an active, I'm waiting on God. Waiting is not passive, it's active. But as he waits on God, trusting God means receiving his pardon because listen, shame is trust killing and what fuels shame is guilt. What fuels your shame is that you feel like you don't measure up. You failed. You're not good enough. You got guilt. I didn't parent well enough. 
I didn't plan my business well enough. I wish I would have done this or that. That's guilt. And it robs you of the ability to trust God and it leads you to trust yourself. And so David knows that and he's saying, I cry out to you, God, for pardon. All right, look at the text with me. Verse 6. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord, look at verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. David is looking at God, aware of his sin, and he's saying, God, act toward me according to your character, which you have revealed to me in your scripture. And God revealed his character as a merciful God who is faithful to his covenant in Christ, who forgives sins in Christ, and who cares for his people in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 to 7. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 to 7 on the screen. This was written to Moses 500 years prior to King David's rule. And God is revealing himself to Moses in the desert on Mount Sinai. And this is what God says to Moses. The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Who, but who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. Perhaps the greatest truth found in Psalm 25 is that when you go to God and cry out for mercy, when you ask God to give you the knowledge and the, the, the conviction that he's pardoned your guilt, you do it based upon God's character, not yours. God said, I'm merciful. God said that I will pardon the sins of my people in Christ. God said that I am faithful to my covenant. That Hebrew word chesed, steadfast love is how it's translated here. It's God who is faithful. You can trust God because God keeps his word. And God said, I'm going to forgive you. Not because you deserve it, but because that's who I am. That's a great way to pray. You're not trying to convince God to forgive you of your sin. You're not hoping that you've done enough good things that he will forgive you. You are simply saying, God, this is how you've revealed yourself. You want to know how God revealed himself as that one who forgives our sin? Because he came to earth and died on a cross to do it. Now, he hadn't yet in David's time, but David was trusting in Christ. What David had was the promise that God had given Moses 500 years earlier. But prophetically, because he was a prophet, he was, he was looking down the quarters of time, and he said, oh God, I know who you are. Please don't remember me according to what I did when I was in middle school. Now, you may have been a saint in middle school. I certainly wasn't. I found myself not attending Thomas Jefferson Junior High School for 40 days because uh, I was caught selling a certain substance in the hallway. has a distinct aroma to it. 
Yes, it's cousin. I think about some of the things I did in middle school, and I'm ashamed. I mean, I, don't remember me that way, God. I did it, but that doesn't define me. And Christian, though you have sinned and you have done grievous sins against God in Christ, he doesn't remember you that way. He remembers you as a son or a daughter of his in Christ. You are given the righteousness of Christ. It's a foreign righteousness, but it's given to you. Do you believe that? Or do you still walk around as that guilty person who doesn't want to go to their high school reunion? Because everybody will remember, oh, that's the guy that, or that's the girl that. God doesn't see you that way. Don't see yourself that way. This is not an excuse for you to keep sinning. It's a reality that enables you to overcome that sin by grace. And trust God rather than yourself. Point three. If trusting God is receiving his pardon, and it is. If trusting God is resting in his hands, and it is. It's going to lead us to requesting his help. Otherwise, all you see God as is a self-help manual. He's like another thing you can watch on YouTube to teach you how to you know, change the faucet in your kitchen, which never works for me. The faucet always gets more broken after I watch the YouTube video. And then I got to call a person. I spend five hours watching the video, three hours just staring at things on Home Depot thinking, what is all this stuff? Can't they just make one pipe? They have to have 50? And then I work on it for half a day and I break it worse. And then I call the plumber who charges me $150 an hour. You can't fix your broken soul. You can't watch a YouTube video. And you know you're broken, don't you? We're all broken differently. You you can't. God can. And he does, and he did in Christ. And if you're not a Christian, again, this isn't like I'm going to add Jesus to, you know, whatever else I'm trying to figure out to get my life better. No, no, he, he takes over. Resting in his arms means he's got you. See, David's request for help was what he needed at the time. He needed guidance in combat, in battle, in leading the nation that God had given him, in leading the people of God because there were enemies at the gate that wanted to shame them, that wanted to kill them, that wanted to conquer them. But his trust was in God. Were your covenant people, you said a Messiah was coming through us, that one of my sons, now I understand, he's not really my son, but he's my Lord, but he's my son, and he's going to rule on the, on the throne of David, and that's Jesus Christ. He didn't know his name at the time, but he knew he was coming. So he says, God... You are faithful to your covenant, though we have sinned. Listen, if anybody knew about sin, it was David. He was a murderer and an adulterer. Don't remember me according to the sins of my youth. Pardon my guilt, which is great, for your name's sake. All that means there is do it because that's who you are. A man's or a woman's name revealed who they are. And so then he was able to boldly ask him for things. And what he's asking for here is guidance. By and large, if you look at verses 4 through 14, you'll see that. Now, let me just read them to you. I invite you again, look at these words with me. This is God's word, church. Get your eyes on verses 4 to 14, just to give you a sense of what David's asking for here. 
Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Notice David's appeals are all based on God's character, not David's. God's faithfulness, not David's. God's purposes and will, not David's. That's how we pray. Verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. Verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love. That's that word has said and faithfulness. For those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt. And he adds, for it is great. Amen. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he, the Lord, instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. How's your soul this morning? Are you at peace? That idea of well-being here, that Hebrew idea of well-being, is in the family of words where shalom exists. Peace. How's your soul? Right now, right now. God gives you peace and instruction. Like I said, David's facing war. David's facing people that want to kill him. And his soul was at peace because he trusted his God. And he received God's pardon and requested God's help. Verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. He makes them know his covenant. You want to know what the greatest blessing is, church? As you rest in God's hands, as you receive God's pardon, and as you request God's help. You ready for this? You're God's friend. Look at it again. Verse 14. Look at it. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes them know his covenant. And he makes known to them his covenant. Do you know the covenant of Jesus Christ? I'm not just talking about in your head. I'm talking about in your heart. Or are your feet like that ducks underneath the water right now? Thinking, I'm, I'm shamed, I'm guilty. Or do you, how's your soul? How's your soul? God would say, trust me, rest in me, receive my pardon, request my help. I will give you peace. I'll give rest, rest to your soul. Rest, true rest in Christ. I know there's enemies at the gates. By the way, probably the biggest enemy we all face isn't out there. Guess where it is? Either right here or right here or right here. Let me ask you another question. How do you sleep at night? That's a good test for how your soul's doing. How fast your little duck feet are moving underneath the water. Trust In the Lord, friend. And you will never be put to shame. Trust in the Lord. Rest in his hands. Receive his pardon. And yes, request his help. In Jesus' name. What does that look like? Well, here's a couple of thoughts for you. 
Here's some practical ways to diagnose your heart when it comes to the trust question. First, do you live with shame on a regular basis? Do you often feel like you're not good enough? You come up short. You don't measure up. You're not acceptable. Then you might be trusting in yourself more than you think you are. See, in Christ, you are good enough. Because in Christ, you have his goodness, not yours. In Christ, you have all the resources of heaven. That's what scripture says. Up to his glory, which he will share with us. In Christ, you have his righteousness and acceptance. Second, do you live in constant anxiety in the face of troubles? This may reveal that when the going gets tough, you rely on the instinct of your flesh to trust yourself rather than God. It's like driving faster when you're lost. Doesn't help. Not that I've ever done this, but you drive more aggressively when you're lost. Particularly if someone in the car is telling you that you're lost. And you're telling them, I don't need no stinking map. And I certainly don't need Siri talking to me. And we do that in our lives, don't we? Man, listen, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Rely on the Lord. You see, anxiety is a great revealer of self-trust. It is linked to your failure, to my failure, Failure to be able to control the world around us, relationships, our vocations, weather, they're all out of our control. And to the degree that we're trusting in ourselves, to that degree, we become anxious. We speed up. We get crazy. We lose our minds. Fill in the blank, however you do it. What drives your anxiety, my anxiety, is our desire to control the outcome. And this is simply not possible because our world is too volatile. Our lives hang by a thread. But here's the good news. Jesus holds that thread. Nothing can happen to you that God does not allow. Trust him. Because he's forgiven your sin. He's going to lead you all the way in. See, self-trust is the engine of the flesh that produces all the negative ways that you and I respond to uncertainty. See, our self-trust can lead us into escapism. Binge-watching, whatever it is you binge-watch. Losing yourself in anything other than God. Just unplugging from reality. Can lead to very destructive behaviors, vices, addictions, promiscuity. It it can lead to a lot of things. But man, if you found yourself stuck in any of that, here's the good news. God, if you're a Christian, God does not remember you or think of you according to your sins, but according to Christ's righteousness. doesn't excuse your sin. God says stop it. But he says it as a father who loves you. Man, that's good news. Good news. Cry out to God for forgiveness. Cry out to God for His grace. 
Say, Lord, show me the truth of Psalm 25. Lord, show me the false idols, the false gods, the false people, the false things that I've been trusting in other than you, whether it's money or the ability to control people or pleasure or maybe someone else or maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend or, or a husband or a wife or a family or whatever. Lord, I want to trust in you and you alone. The truth that God speaks here in Psalm 25 is of a a, a fundamental shift. Here's the point. In who you ultimately trust. A fundamental shift in who you ultimately trust. That's what it means to be a Christian. You repent. You shift from trusting self to trusting Christ. If you're not a Christian, that's what we're talking about here. You've heard of, I give my life to Christ. Eh, I'm not sure I like that phraseology. But in this psalm, that's what David's saying. He's saying, I, I lift up my soul to you. I give you my life. Now, God already has your life. But you understand, it's got to be, it's that, it's that responding to God. Like, I really rest in you. I mean, don't do this. But I can have the doors unlocked and fall asleep at night. Again, don't do that, okay? We live in South Florida, so don't do that. But you understand, I'm trusting you, Lord. I don't have to control everything and everybody and have my finger on every single thing and tell everybody what to do and critique everybody's driving around me and fill in the blank because I can just rest in you, Lord. It relieves you from the duties of being God in everybody else's life. That's just a hard role to play, isn't it? That's why those kind of people are typically pretty angry and just bleh because they're correcting everybody else. Be released from that. Finally, um, trust in God and you will never be put to shame, church. For he is the God who raises the dead. We're celebrating that next Sunday. Culturally, we celebrate it every day. He is the God who raised Jesus from the dead to take away the shame of your sin by forgiving that sin on the cross. Listen, the quality of your relationship with God is far greater than the quality of your relationship with the person or persons you trust the most because God will never violate your trust. God is trustworthy. So ask yourself, how is your prayer life? Is it real? Like how you would talk with someone you really trusted. Think about it. Talk with God the way you talk with someone you really trust. If you can have a relationship with this person, then far more because of God's sovereign grace and election of you, dear Christian, in Christ, you can have that relationship with God. It's not a duty, it's a delight. I'm being real with God. When you trust in God, You will never be put to shame. Let us pray. Worship team, please join me up front. Lord, I pray for my friends right now. I pray for my own self that when the impulse of my soul drives me to self-trust, particularly when I feel lost or vulnerable, I believe that's a word for some of you, When you feel vulnerable, exposed, weak, God is saying to you, I believe through this word in Psalm 25, trust me, don't react like you have in the past, but trust me for the present and the future. Some of us, Father, react with anger, others with withdrawal. 
some with addictive behaviors. Lord, we just want to come and say, Father, thank you for your pardon in Christ. Now, give us the grace to let to rest in your hands, to receive your pardon. And Lord, we request your help. Just ask the Lord right now in that area that you're so tempted to take it back from God. You're so tempted to self-trust in this area. Just ask him, Lord, would you give me grace? Show me what to do. Lord, I trust you. Even though I fear being shamed, I believe your word. Those who trust in the Lord will never, ever be put to shame. So, Father, give us that grace to trust you. Just take a moment. If you don't trust the Lord, then just say, Lord, give me the desire to desire to trust you. Some of you have been so violated or you have violated others' trust that you just think no one can be trusted. Oh, but friend, God is not like us. Jesus can be trusted because he died on that cross for you and me, dear Christian, and rose from the dead and lives forever in glory. So pour out your spirit on us, Lord, as we sing this prayer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand. Let us sing that first song we sang in our worship time. Make this a prayer to God, please.